You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 186 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you on October 5th. It's a Sunday. We're all kinds of off schedule, but honestly, we just couldn't wait any longer to discuss these comics with you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay because Roger brought a giant pile of puns with him as well. Dude, you got to admit, those are funny as hell. Come on. (laughs) I've been not going to deny that. I, I. I've always thought they were hysterical. Uh, we're talking about the, 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 some people call them the Dick Grimes, the coral ones. And uh, and you, if you don't know what that is, just Google it. And so I'd found a bunch of them. And again, they, they just make me laugh. And so I started sending them, texting to, them to my daughter, my eldest daughter. And she just is the same way. They They cause her to laugh on the bus hysterically. And then people stare at her. And then I found the template. And that was the end of that. So then I started making my own and just sending them out like mad. You're a bad, bad person. (laughs) Well, before we get into the discussion this week, uh, bringing a little bit of news to you guys, uh, still the Humble Bundle is rocking it with their comic bundles. I forgot to mention it on the show, but they had a Valiant Bundle last month that I bought into. I spent like 15 bucks and I got untold amounts of comics, like the first 20 some issues of most of the stuff that's out right now and entire graphic novels of the original Valiant run from the nineties. So that was a fantastic value, but running right now, they have the humble Oni press comic bundle. Uh, if you buy in at at least $15 right now, you get, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 11, 16, 18 graphic novels, including the first volume of the sixth gun, the first two volumes of Scott Pilgrim, first volume of Stumptown and the first volume of The Bunker in addition to any number of stuff and always about halfway through they add in a ton more stuff so said for at least $15 that is a huge huge value I love that they do these I love that they do these and you do wind up getting some insanely cool comics out of it most of the time yeah so and also it's split between the publishers and charity as yeah. well so it's definitely going to a good cause as well yeah. But diving into what we want to talk about, we got a whole bunch of great spider stuff going on right now. Uh, We're starting off with Superior Spider-Man number 33, written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, art by Giuseppe Comancoli, John Dell, and Antonio Fabella. My God, what? Otto. (laughs) We've said this time and time again. Our time with Otto was way too short because we just love this character. (laughs) I... I, I, we've already talked about this and this is exactly what you just said. Like when we were like, I would say probably in the minority of people who really were enjoying Spurious Spider-Man a lot while it was happening. And then now that we've got Peter back, it's just, you don't realize what you've lost until you get auto back. And it's like, Oh my God, I wish this could have lasted longer. And maybe it will, maybe they'll find a way to do it because uh, it's just so fantastic. If you had told me a couple years ago that the most emotional scene I would read in a comic book would involve Dr. Octopus and a hologram, I would have laughed at you. And yet, here it is. Yeah. 
I'm looking forward to, and it's going to crush me, I know, when he actually sees Dana again and what both of their reactions will be. That's going to be gold. It, it just has to be. I'm not, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> oh, little Anna holding his body as he's dying. Tears well, he can't going die down. because that'll mess up the timeline. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's remember, old and her after dying. After this whole adventure is when he comes back in issue 19. So this is just a, the, a little side story of what happened when he disappeared for a couple hours. Right. So he has to come back. That's true. Well, yeah, but they can mess up continuity, time continuity. It's not like they haven't done it before. What are you talking about? I don't <laughs> anyway, on to the story here. This is continuing from what we saw in 32, where, as I said, uh, issue 18 or 19, whenever it was, when Otto disappeared into the time stream, he found himself in the 2099 future and finding out about these killers that have been hopping dimensions, killing various incarnations of Spider-Man. So he's been assembling his own team to fight back. Here we see himself along with Cyborg Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, Assassin Spider-Man, Indian Spider-Man, Old Man Logan Spider-Girl, and Spider-Monkey, because of course you need a monkey. <laughs> I just like that the monkey's perched on different people at different times. <laughs> and, and all credit to Kamakoli for how he handles all these characters. This comic looks fantastic. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, there's not a lot of comic books that I enjoy so much that I'm kind of speechless about. And this is the team-up that is the best team-up we've seen in years, I think. And this it, is nothing yet. I know, and it's just going to keep getting better. But just the, the interactions between the characters as well and stuff, and the divide between the more quote-unquote pure characters that resemble Parker and the harder edged ones and where that's leading as well. Again, there's so much that makes me excited for what's coming up. Mm -hmm. And we also finally get the reveal for who the big villain of this crossover is. We had a feeling it was going to be something involving more loon from what we've seen and going on over an amazing Spider-Man with silk. But I always felt that he wasn't a big enough villain for a crossover of this magnitude. Mm -hmm. So this is where we find out, no, it's not Morloon. It's Morloon's entire family, uh, these dimension-hopping hunters that have a certain taste for spiders. And this is something that excites me. Like, you really have no idea about Morloon or any of that, do you? Not too much, no. Okay. This is from uh, J. Michael Straczynski's run from when he was writing Spider-Man before he had his complete meltdown and one more day happened and just bad, bad things. I always liked this concept of how Peter was tied into, like, this larger, you know, spider totem, the stuff we've seen from, like, Grim Hunt and all that we've seen with Madam Web, how he's part of something larger. And it, like, it, it even went into explaining, like, why so many of his villains are various animal themes. Like, whether they know it or not, they're connected into this larger web of the, the totems. And that's what Morloon and his family feed off of. They feed off the powers of the totems. And, like, a lot of people aren't that crazy about this concept. And I can understand that because, honestly, Straczynski's execution of it was a bit lacking. You know, he didn't feel he had the time he needed to properly tell the story. But given the quality of the writing we've seen over the last couple of years, I'm more confident that Slot and company can pull it off a little more successfully since they have the entire you know, support of Marvel's publishing behind it. Because I like the idea of, yes, 
everything that happened in Peter's life was more happenstance and whatnot. But it still fits into the character that he finds himself as part of something larger and completely over his head in it and still has to pull through. That is one of the core concepts of the Peter Parker character for me. So being able to build upon that in a different direction in a different way is something I support. This is actually one of the things that, I mean, it's not that I dislike this concept, but rather that I I do kind of wish it had gone a different way with somebody different. And I, I don't have the history that you have with the, with all of the, the back issues that, that relate to this, although I have read some of them. But I actually am not... It's not, again, it's not that I dislike the whole web thing, web of life thing, whatever the hell you want to call it. But I prefer it when it's all happenstance, when it's all, you know, that's just the way that it is. This, that it's all fate and intertwined inserts this concept that there's a lot less choice which is i mean mirrors life as we know it as well in terms of religions and different things whether you believe in you have faith or there's no life but what we make of it kind of idea so while it's not something that i you know am am negative about and say no i hate it it's stupid kind of thing it's not something that i'm particularly fond of either Mm-hmm. Well, I say when I when you look at it, it's not like Peter was fated to be part of this. He just kind of happened into it as yeah. part of as becoming Spider-Man. And like once he became Spider-Man, then, you know, he was chosen by the larger spirit. So, again, Peter's role in a lot of this is still very traditional Peter Spider-Man story. It just it's expanding, you know, the bounds of what can happen. Yeah. But in some of the things that you read, they talk about him being the center of it and the most important so, I mean, it depends on which writer you read. Mm-hmm. So it, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. I, I have a lot of faith in this writing team. Completely off topic, and just so people can understand why we're a little late with this episode, I still have the page up for Humble Bundle, and it ticked off another sold for the book bundle, and I'm so loopy on pain meds right now that I thought... Oh, yay, people are listening and they bought it. I'm just going to believe that. (laughs) We're recording. I haven't even edited the goddamn podcast and released it. (laughs) So it's been that kind of week, folks. Okay, then. (laughs) Moving into the Edge of Spider-Verse comics uh, with issue two, we have written by Jason Latour, art by Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi. And this is the much-anticipated Spider-Gwen issue. And man, it did not disappoint. Just like we talked about in issue one with Spider-Man Noir, there is so much backstory that's been built up just for the sake of this one-shot that this absolutely needs to be expanded on. I want to see the further further adventures of Gwen Stacy, Spider-Woman. I was disappointed. Really? I was really disappointed, as a matter of fact. Now, I did not, as per the usual, go online and check what the everybody's thoughts were on this, so I don't know if the general consensus was that everybody loved it or not. I'm of the opinion, and it's an opinion... And I don't want to, you know, stereotype and all that, but 
after reading this, I thought if people are really excited about this, I'm going to attribute that to just their love of Gwen and not actually the caliber of the writing or originality of the story. Again, it's just an opinion. I'm not trying to be harsh on anybody who liked it. It's just because I saw nothing original here. The character certainly didn't speak to me, and it relied far too heavily on cliches and trying to wrap in how Peter would work into this and different things. I... I really was not impressed at all to the point of when I finished it being utterly disappointed because I'd had such high hopes for it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, then. And I mean, I really wanted this. Well, obviously, I haven't hidden how much I'm digging this event or how excited I am for various aspects of it. And when we talked about just the cover weeks ago I was saying how excited I was at the prospect and then I read it and I went well damn that was terrible and really a letdown from what it could have been I don't know I still really liked it yeah and I'm not don't want to sound again like I'm holding against people who did like it it's just as I'm reading it I'm thinking the only way I could really force myself to be excited about this after reading is if I put a lot more into the character and it's because of what I think of Gwen and the idea that hey she could actually live in another universe as this and and things like that not so much the reality of you know the the quality of the writing which again I I I maintain is really not impressive I I was so not impressed well this is at least for me the best we've seen out of Jason Latour that. I mean, he's written uh, Wolverine and X-Men, but that's not saying much because this is the first thing of his as a writer that I have enjoyed. Yeah, see, to me, saying the best of somebody's crap pile is not saying a lot. He's a good artist. Stick to that. Yeah, I, again, I was okay. really, right. really, really disappointed. But, I mean, are we talking about the next one after this? I was going to ask because it wasn't part of our original uh, show notes, but did you read issues well, three or four? Of course. Oh, I didn't okay. read four yet. I've okay. read three, though. Well, I'll touch on four briefly. But yes, issue three, art and writing entirely by Dustin Weaver. This spectacular. Scythe... <laughs> Spec. Fucking-tacular. I will bleep it. Run with it. <laughs> it was amazing. Here we have, again, it's, yeah, there's some cliches here as well. And we use that term a lot. You have to when you're discussing comic books. But we've said it time and time again. It's what you do with it from there. And here we have something where, A, there is a lot more originality in this than what we saw in the Gwen story. B, the villains in this are fantastic and interesting. This the It, it was just captivating. The atmosphere with this kind of, you know neo-Japanese kind of thing going on mixed in with this noir theme almost at points. It just, I dug the setting. The characters were great. I loved this Spider-Man as well because he was different enough while still maintaining some of those core qualities of, of a Spider-Man say, or of Peter Parker. Um, and, the whole story with the mother and her daughter and where it went from there. This was just 
absolutely amazing. And you want to talk about art. The art in this was uh, uh, spectacular. Just absolutely amazing. Spectacular, amazing. You're just not stopping with the puns. Dude, I'm still freaking... Then again, is is there an adjective that can describe this that hasn't been part of a Spider-Man title? Really? I mean, (laughs) it fits. Sensational. (laughs) I didn't say that one. Oh, look, we sold another bundle. (laughs) I really enjoyed this one as well. To the point, like, as soon as it started, like, I immediately knew, like, I don't want to give away the plot, but, like, I knew who the villain was going to be revealed to be. But then when they expanded on it and showed that it played out in a way differently than I expected, yeah, it, it was pretty cool. And like you said, the the style, the setting, very unique. And, and the showing, costume, you know, how talented and creative some people can be just writing a Spider-Man comic. <laughs> Yeah, and I love the the way the costume was designed as well, that a lot of his powers are from, you know, the costume and how he designed it and to do different things and all that. It was, I loved it. All right, well, since you haven't read it, but just to briefly mention uh, issue four, written by Clay McLeod Chaplin, art by Elia Bonetti and Veronica Gandini. This one, we have Patton Parnell, our Spider-Man for this issue. And as you can tell from the cover, which is gorgeous, I love the cover for this so much. It's a throwback to Marvel's roots of before, you know, the whole Marvel superhero stuff took off in the 60s. It's a horror comic. And the cover is done in the 50s style, but the inside of the issue is all modern art. But it's told just like one of those horror comics. And it's sick. It's disturbing. And I loved it. It's on my reading list, trust me. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll mention it uh, on our next episode. <laughs> but yeah, that it's again, it's vastly different from anything else we've seen. This is not even remotely close to a heroic Spider-Man, but it, it was just weird. And it's for not for a comic that came out in October, perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right, switching gears slightly to somebody who has not shown up in Spider-Verse. Yet, we have Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man number five, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by David Marquez and Justin Ponsor. And I have to say, before we get into this actual issue, from what we've seen out of David Marquez since he started becoming the regular Spider-Man artist, he has been getting better and better with every issue. And he is rapidly becoming one of the best pencilers and anchors. He, He does both in Marvel Stable right now. The art in this is amazing. Okay. It was great. <laughs> There's no great Spider-Man. <laughs> I will try to avoid those. Um, but yeah, the art was, it was just great. The, the beginning to end, I mean, just so, there's no, nothing missing from the scene. It's not like when you look at a scene and you can see where the artist cheated in the backgrounds or different things. Everything is materialized beautifully in every single panel. And the way that he frames everything, yeah, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. So we pick, off, uh, pick up right where uh, we left off in the previous issue with Miles and, air quotes, Peter, <laughs> being surrounded by the cops after chasing off Osborne. And typical Spider-Man scenario here. <laughs> Peter's a lot more used to dealing with these situations than Miles is, so he gets away relatively unscathed. Well, Miles actually web shooters. He stole yeah, the web this shooters. Is true. That's he why stole he Miles' web shooters as well. 
But this is where we get some great scenes with Miles and Maria Hill, who is a detective in the Ultimate Universe. And as we've said, Bendis has such an interesting relationship, if you will, with Maria Hill, with all the stuff he's put her through over in the X-Men titles. Seeing a, this, a very similar character, but with a different perspective, I really adored the scenes between her and Miles. I prefer this Maria Hill than the one in the regular canon, which is right. saying a lot. Regular universe Maria Hill is basically a punchline. Like, she's just there for comedy value as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is a fully realized character. Yeah, she's great in this. And freaking Jonah. Oh. oh, man. The scene with Jameson and Osborne. Oh, my God. The the tension that was going on there, the drama, the, the, the last panel that <laughs> what happened there, top notch all around. The the stuff with, with him was, again, though, he's he's such a good character in the Ultimates universe compared to the joke that he is in the regular canon. Like, in the regular canon, he's just a, a, a farce of a character. Whereas in here, he's a fully realized, deep, emotional man with tons of baggage that is not afraid to do what is right as well. And he's just such a fantastic character. It's, it, and the art it, for these, oh my God, oh, these panels. Absolutely. Nuts. As, as we've said so many times, as great as everything Dan Slott is doing over with Amazing Spider-Man and the regular universe, just over, God, what is it, 12 years now that Bendis has been doing Ultimate Spider-Man? And it's just been fantastic. Probably one of the best interpretations of spider-man ever with how not just the character himself but how he's built up the supporting cast and the world around him has just been an absolute joy yeah oh yeah and, and of course we get you know another big reveal at the end because of course we do because like one of the knocks against bendis over the course of his career is the way he paces out his stories and i won't disagree with that in certain respects but for this specific story with just the slow burn of one tiny little reveal every now and then it's really working here. Yeah. Which leads us into all new X-Men number 32 again, written by Bendis art by Mahmoud Asrar and Marte Gracia. And this is where we see the all new team has been teleported into the ultimate universe and find themselves in an interesting array of situations. We have Angel showing up in the Savage Land because, of course, you have to go to the Savage Land, meeting up with uh, Jimmy Hudson, Wolverine's kid. Beast finds himself in Latveria. X-23 just shows up in the middle of a football game. But as we realize, you know, once she's revealed to be a mutant and the way the ultimate universe feels about mutants that doesn't work out too well for her Iceman is under the surface of the earth of the mole man and then we get gene and miles together and this is the same thing uh with that guardians of the galaxy storyline that bendis just wrapped up where he split up the entire team and told individual stories but it's it's a matter of pacing of if each character in each story only gets you know three to four pages in each issue you read the entire issue, a little bit of something happened for everyone, but overall, nothing really happened. As, as much as I want to like what's going on here, the pacing for this storyline really isn't working for me. See, for me, it did. I, I actually was all right with the way that it was done because maybe, it is. Maybe if I hadn't just seen the same concept over in Guardians. 
Okay, see, I'm not reading Guardians right now. Right. So, okay. But yeah, for this, I, I thought it worked because it, it took the time to set up every character where they are and leave you wanting more. And like in the case, say, of Gene and Spider-Man, it showed you that relationship, immediate relationship between the two. And it's one of the things, again, that he does so well is the interpersonal relationships between characters, not just plot and story arcs and everything like that, but also the the interactions between all these characters. And in a matter of just a few pages, cemented this relationship between Miles and Gene in a fantastic way that I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of it. And I thought that he did that with each of them in their own way. I mean, some of them like X-23 and Beast, well, they're, they're by themselves. So they haven't, you know, blended in yet with other major characters. It's just with their settings, but even that's done in such a way that it's interesting. And it's like, okay, you've, you've laid the groundwork down. Now we're good to go. So I'm looking forward to the next issue to see what he's going to do with it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, and the more I think on it, the more it, it is for me is I just saw the same story concept from this exact same writer a couple months ago. Right. Because the way, the way it worked in Guardians was the team was sold out. Each character was taken prisoner by a different race. You know, the, the Spartax took Star-Lord. You know, the Badoon had uh, Gamora and this and that. And the way he set it up there was to set up this hopeless situation of seeing just how screwed each of the individual characters were before the eventual rescue. And again, it was the same concept there. And for what he was doing, it worked. I said, it's just, I, I just saw this same story just with different characters. So for me personally, it's not quite working. Yeah, I, I can, I can appreciate that. But from somebody who has not, this was incredibly effective. For me, mm-hmm. and especially some of them, which again, I, I'm going to keep going back to the Gene and, and Miles one because that's the most important one in the story. But it's also the the most well done as well, in my opinion. And the way that he handled it, that her reading is mine kind of thing. Those two panels where she just suddenly learns his entire history. And in two pages, we are put up to speed in the same way that she is. I just, again, thought that it was so well done and to the point where, again, more so than the other story arcs. This one here is like, I'm really looking forward to seeing this team up with those two to see where it's going to progress. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting aside from what we've seen here. I read an interview with uh, Axel Alonso recently where he said these dimension hopping storylines we're seeing with Spider-Verse, with what we're seeing here with this crossover with all new Avengers or all new X-Men, as well as all the stuff that's been going on over a new Avengers. Having all of these storylines happening at the same time is not a coincidence. So just knowing how great each three of these crossovers well i don't want to call new avengers a crossover but you know what i mean how how great each three of these similar storylines has been is possibly and probably leading to something bigger it just has me excited as a fan cool all right jumping into what we're reading uh i finally read uh invincible 114 okay as you recommended and hickman is not screwing around man just yeah Hickman, oh God, Kirkman, that one. Thank okay. you. 
Kirkman is not screwing her up. As we've said with every issue for the last year, I don't know. Just when we think we know where the story's going, we don't. I, 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 I'm, I'm almost speechless about what what happened in this issue. <laughs> this is when I say he can write. This is now what I point to, not to The Walking Dead. Now, granted, I have not read The Walking Dead in a great many months now, so maybe it's come around again. Maybe it's good again. I don't know. But there were far too many months there where I, I certainly felt that it was not, I, to the point of it being terrible. But maybe it's come around. But this has consistently been good throughout its entire run. That agreed. I mean, it, it had a couple dips, but yeah, one or two issues over the course of 114. And even then, absolutely forgivable. Even then, dips were talking, eh, wasn't as good as his normal stuff, but his not as good is still far better than a lot of other. And, and even stuff. some of the stuff that we thought wasn't that great when he came back around to it and finally addressed it turned out to be awesome the whole yeah. time. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on quickly. I, I saw that you were tweeting Jonathan Mayberry about how much you loved the Rotten Ruin comic. Yes, I did. Did you? Not that I didn't like it. I just thought it was an odd choice that issue one of the comic is basically picking up at the beginning of the third novel. And the events of the first two novels are just kind of glossed over in some narration. I'm all right with that because I didn't want just a retelling of everything True. that we've already read. And this it was done in such a way that it put people up to speed if they hadn't read the novels, that it put them up to speed that they can run with because it's a zombie story, really. How much pretext do you need for a zombie story? They give just enough that, OK, we're up to speed. We know what's going on. And just enough also that I'm hoping for people who haven't read the novels, they'll go, okay, this is cool. I like the characters. I like the little bit of hinting at the beginning for what the novels were about. I'll go out and buy the novels and read them. So I was all right with, with all of it. I, I don't know. It's just, it was a little awkward for me. So, so what setting would you have liked then? I don't know. It's just... Maybe as someone who read the previous two books and having, you know, the first handful of pages of the comic just kind of said there, there was so much good stuff that happened <laughs> in those early stories. I don't know. Is that I don't want to say the comic was bad because it wasn't. Once it got into its own story, it was great. I just thought it was kind of a weird decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I see what you're saying. I personally don't agree because again, I, I think that yeah, it would have been awesome to have a retelling of, right from the, the get-go, say, the, the first book. It would have been very interesting to see those characters going through the same things as what we read. But then it would have been seeing the characters going through the same thing mm -hmm. we've already read. I, I would much rather a continuation later on. I think a lot of it for me is how disappointed I am because the relationship between Benny and Tom was so fantastic. Yeah. And like, if I want to, I could always go back and read the book again, but like, I, I feel like, you know, new readers who haven't read the books are kind of missing out on what, what is in my opinion, a great story. But to me, that's what makes this fantastic. And the way that he's handling it in much the same way as other writers that we like, we're in when there are characters that die, 
the important characters that die, then you have to appreciate those moments that you have with them. And so to me, it makes sense and it works. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless, now that it's out of the way and we're moving on with the rest of the series, I'm probably still going to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, quickly, I read the second issue of Delinquents. I know neither one of us was very impressed with the first issue, but once the two teams came together, I actually had a lot of fun with it. And then uh, the Fire and Stone series we saw with uh, Prometheus and then Aliens. Like I said, there are four on miniseries that are running concurrently. They're all tying together as part of their comic universe as well as the movie universes. As someone who's really into all of the movies that are associated with it, I'm really excited about it. And it's just really – I've – really enjoyed the first two issues uh like i said the first issue of prometheus the first issue of aliens and seeing how everything is being tied together i i'm really appreciating what they're doing there cool and what do you have for us okay well i'll make it short because we are running along mm-hmm. um got caught up completely on batman beyond and what's been happening and as i've said before the stuff that's going on in there is crazy and fantastic when you were finding out again about Barbara and Baton Bruce and the love child that never happened and everything <laughs> else. But in between all that, you also have what was going on with the, the Lords and how Terry had gone to their universe to help take down Superman from there and how he was um, teaming up with the Terry from that universe who never became Batman. And so now he's actually working with him to train him. And basically Dick took over Bruce's job as the, for lack of a better term, kind of Oracle, the voice in the Batcave that helps him along and whatnot. And they're training that Terry. But at the same time, regular Canon Terry is continuing to go there under the pretense of training T, they call him just T, um, while still making time to go and have lunches and talks with his father who's still alive in that universe. So he's getting a chance at that relationship that he wouldn't have had otherwise because his father died. So you're getting really powerful moments there that are, are, are quite cool. And then you're, again, he's going through a lot, so he's dealing with a, a whole bunch of stuff with how he's handling his relationship with with Bruce and whether he's going to, you know, continue or not. That's kind of, you never really know with some of what he says. Of course, he's still kind of doing things. And then the, the story art that's going on right now is, has brought back um, the Royal Flush Gang because he kind of had that relationship with Ten who quit, but now is kind of making it seem like she's going to go back in along with Ink is back as well, which was always a character that we loved from the the series and so seeing her in here is kind of cool as well so there's a really fun story arc that doesn't have the impact say of the last one because the last one was just insane freaking drama but you're getting glimpses of that but you're also getting some really fun storylines as well absolutely agree okay um also i read oh the latest chew yes First of all, his daughter is awesome. <laughs> I love what they're doing with her. Again, 
he's so good at writing that you don't even need the main character in the story. Layman can just write all of the supporting cast and you care as much about them as you do Tony. He was really, how many pages is he in this? Two? Two. I, I loved the One. setup of how they got Tony out of the story. Yeah. <laughs> of that it was the same damn thing we just saw last yeah. issue. <laughs> so uh, this was great. And, of course, the last page, which has become oh. a, the norm now, just spoils Layman, something Don't do huge. this to us. But it was like, oh, my God. We cannot go through this again, Layman. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, she's going to wind up with some kind of biotic, like, what's his face? Anyways, so yeah, that and what do you think about what's been going on with Saga? I'm still enjoying it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's just had such a consistent quality that it, it has to do something really super impressive to to just be better than yeah, it's still pretty good. <laughs> I'm I'm I, I'm still enjoying it, but. I've had a problem with the whole attitude she's had um, with the he threw vegetables at me versus I did drugs and I'm right, which I guess. Yeah. Okay, fine. A drug addict would kind of feel that way and be trying to rationalize. But there's isn't she also still high at this point? Yeah, she's doing different things at different times. So, yeah, there's there's different things of this that, yeah, I'm really liking, but there's different things that are kind of. I'm not actually digging quite as much. And the whole kidnapping the baby thing has just kind of been. eh, Eh, not really enjoying that part as much. Not because it's, giving it's us an interesting insight as to the culture of the TV people. <laughs> there is that. There is that. But yeah, it's. I, I love how we saw a couple issues ago. The king is this giant, you know, 4K widescreen, and this janitor is just a black and white yeah. dial set. <laughs> um, and lastly, I'm still, still, of course, reading the various. Wolverine stuff and still disappointed. Yeah, well, I'm, at I'm least not, it's consistent. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, that'll that'll do for tonight. And uh, of course, we we have a big pile of stuff that we're reading. But since we're recording another episode in two days, we're gonna discuss a lot more then. Yeah. All right. Uh, for well, at this point, last week's new releases, Marvel brings us Bucky Barnes, The Winter Soldier, number one, uh, picking up what we saw out of that character in Original Sin. We have Captain America twenty five, Death of Wolverine three, Edge of Spider Verse four. Yeah, that's familiar. Guardians three thousand, number one, uh, new adventures of the original team of Guardians of the Galaxy. Spider Man twenty ninety nine, number four, Thor number one uncanny avengers number 25 from dc we have batman eternal 26 batman superman 14 detective comics number 35 gotham academy number one which actually looks fantastic i can't wait to check that one out and justice gods among us year two annual uh with year three uh actually just started up as well we have justice league number 34 and wonder woman number 34 which i believe is the last issue from brian azarello and cliff chang so it'll also be the last issue of that I ever read. From Image, we have Burn the Orphanage, Reign of Terror, number five, The Fade Out, number two, Nailbiter, number six, Rat Queens, number eight, yes. Tech Jacket, number four. Uh, from Dynamite, we have Dresden Files, War Cry, number five, the final issue there. And from IDW, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 38. That awkward moment when you realize the Ninja Turtles comic has been out longer than the entire New 52 with a better sense of continuity. But that's going to wrap us up here for Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until a couple days from now, thanks for listening. Bye.